and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast, the internet's only podcast about cars and movies and such things. Um, we are officially germ-free as of, well, very recently. We've not been here for a while because I've had the lurgy and Marty's had the lurgy and I think we're now a bit more compass <laughs> Yeah, you will notice that, that we, we put out an episode just before or just as the new Bond movie arrived in cinemas and then we went conspicuously silent <laughs> for a month because we both had the big C. I had a cold and, of course, Chris had crabs. <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, before we get into the meat of this podcast, a quick on this day in 1982, Ricardo Patrese, fresh from his first win at the Monaco Grand Prix, opened a new chain of restaurants highlighting his love of steak and kidney called Pie Trazes. Sadly, he got into a turf war with his then-Brabham teammate who launched his own chain of pickle shops called Nelson's Piquant Peppers. Ricardo's pies fell by the wayside and he ended up driving for Alfa Romeo in 1984, today in history. I wish that was actually true, because that would make <laughs> Ricardo Patrese 100% more interesting. <laughs> Since our last episode, and I know we've both had time being bedridden, so what have you been watching? Uh, I have caught the new Road to Le Mans uh, with Michael Fassbender. Porsche have returned for a third series of this as he works in the ELMS and is developing his skills towards being on the grid for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, this is on now episode five as of the day of recording. This is a Friday, the 5th of November. We have chosen to record this on the noisiest <laughs> night of the year. It sounds like artillery is going off outside of my house. So if you hear the occasional pop, squeak and bang on on the um, the podcast, please forgive us. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying watching this. Uh, they've again, they've upped the quality of these. I think they're more cinematic. They feel like they've been cut more cinematically. They're telling a bigger story. One of the criticisms we had of this series, right in series one, was they were really short and choppy, yes. and they kind of dropped you in in the middle of a race and didn't really tell a story. And they have they've they've totally turned it around. So these are way more cinematic. They're way more storytelling. This is still telling such a fascinating story i have seen you know friends of mine commenting on forums about how they're enjoying watching this but they've commented how fastbender crashes a lot and i i feel like yes he does but like we said and i think like he said on the show he's trying to cram a decade plus worth of learning into a very short space of time and his brain just can't mm. take it all in he can't develop as fast as, as they're trying to i think he's really up against it but i'm i'm enjoying watching it it's making me you know, I'm I'm rooting for him more, even though you know he's he's still struggling to to put it all together. There's flashes where you know the last episode, episode four, they're back at Le Castellet, they're at Poricar circuit. He knows he he he's he's um, familiar enough with it and comfortable enough with the car and the tire and is able to actually race. There's a moment where one of his teammates actually sort of rocks back on the heels and goes, oh, wow, he's racing. <laughs> yes. He's not just trying to hold the position, as he puts it. He's not just there to kind of start P3 and then try his best not to lose P3. He's actively going up and racing other drivers, which is the sign of someone who has kind of internalised the, the, the process of driving a car in a race and can now have a bit of free brain power to start plotting, mm. okay, this person's slower here on this corner, how can I overtake them? I've been loving this series. Um, episode five came out today. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to be catching up with that over the weekend. How about you? Five, five's a good episode. It's it's a bit more about his struggle. And I think my one thing that I would say 
you're absolutely right in everything that you've said. It's it, it's really coming on leaps and bounds. I think the one thing that is notable this year is that he is less out of his depth than in previous years, and in a way, he's his competence sometimes can almost make it less interesting to me. But I think then you you then start getting into that thing, like you say, he's no longer just hanging on for dear life, which can be kind of. I wouldn't say fun to watch. Fun's possibly the wrong word, but... It's engaging you because you're kind of waiting to see if he's going to sink or swim, mm. and now he's started to swim. Yes. The, the next portion of this is, I'm, and I'm hoping that maybe this is the case either towards the end of the season or, or next, that he starts to swim on a regular basis to push this strangled <laughs> metaphor a bit further, that, that you now start to see him race and this becomes more of a documentary about racing. Mm. Uh, to get him to that point where you get to see him line up on that grid in the 24 hours. And it almost, I was thinking about this watching these earlier earlier in the week, it almost doesn't matter what happens to him at the 24 hours, providing he gets past like the first lap. Yes. Beyond that, he's got there. He's done it. Yeah. And he's done it. He's racing in it. And you kind of figure, does it matter if you, if you finish last of the bronze, I'm um, to your pride, maybe. <laughs> but every every amateur driver, I think, that races at Le Mans for the first time just wants to get to the finish. Good luck to him. I think he he seems to be definitely doing better this year. I think a second year in the LMS has is doing him good. So good luck, Michael. We'll keep watching. Um, one other thing that happened while we were away was that it was October twenty first, which anybody watching this podcast will probably think, ah, October twenty first. Wait, 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 wait. Who's watching this podcast? If you're watching this podcast, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Put your headphones in, make sure that this is on your CarPlay in your car and listen to it. Also, no one but you knows what I, what's going on in October the 21st, so you're going to have to explain. October 21st is Back to the Future Day. It's the day when Marty McFly goes to 2015. To mark this occasion, Porsche released an advert in conjunction with Ionity in the US, who have now served 1.21 gigawatt brackets hours of power to their customers. <laughs> Which is such a gimmick. And it's gigawatts, not, not gigawatts. The DeLorean thing they did, the ad is directed by JF Musial, isn't it? It's, it's a tangent, it's a tangent one, picture. yeah production isn't it it looks really good right up until the slightly manky looking cgi um wheel tracks when the delorean goes off and disappears back to the future <laughs> with the um, um oh, who did the it's the alan silvestri score it is but there's also a cameo from the guy who plays mayor goldie wilson is there yes I did not I did not register that bit at all. I was too busy going, oh, manky CGI flames. If you watch at the end when the tie can pulls up, I th I'm sure there's like a V8 noise that stops when they cut the 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 power. There's a Mayor Goldie Wilson sticker and then the actor gets out. Speaking of odd cameos, I found on Discovery Plus because their search algorithm is a bit wonky, Expedition Back to the Future. Oh, I, th I vaguely have seen something like this. This is this some kind of we're all restoring stuff, or is this something different? So this is a program, as far as I can tell. So there's an expedition series on Discovery Plus, and that series is the same guy who goes off finding like the lost treasure of the Incas and the mysterious cities of gold and all of these sort of mystical things. 
Did they ever find the mysterious cities of gold, though? Yes. Did they? I don't think, because there was like 4,000 episodes and we spent our entire, you know, kid lives coming home and watching going, maybe this time, <laughs> and they never did. There's 36 episodes. Rubbish. There's like 8,000. <laughs> no, no, they were just repeated so endlessly and out of sequence. They, uh, they felt like it. Anyway, so what this guy does is essentially he goes looking for the Back to the Future DeLoreans. And of which, if I remember rightly, there are seven of the nine hero cars that still exist. He goes to find the DeLorean, the DeLorean, so that Michael J. Fox can then uh, auction it off for his charitable foundation. The process of doing which, he goes to Universal Studios, he goes to different collectors, to the Peterson Museum, to other museums, and... It's very, very telling. It's a fascinating thing. If you're a Back to the Future person or if you're a DeLorean person, one of the cars that they find is essentially the remnants of the car that gets smashed by the train at the end of Back to the Future 3. If you like Back to the Future, if you know about the DeLoreans, if you know about some of this stuff already, I found it was a bit too skitty, if you know what I mean. There was a bit too much like, acting and doing bits around like they'd be like they were going through all of the records at dmc houston to try and find this vin number as though the person who had all these records didn't know exactly where all this stuff was already for me it was three episodes worth of content stretched into four episodes if you are laid in bed with crabs and you just have the time to kill i recommend <laughs> i love how i've made that canon now <laughs> It's a fun way to pass. I mean, they're like what forty-five minutes a show. Oh, that's that's uh, that feels long. That feels yeah. long. I'm, and it's I, I could I could do an hour, an hour long of that. You could absolutely crack it all in. But like you say, I think it's the is this an American production, right? Oh, so yeah. it's going yeah, yeah. to be that kind of slightly OTT American style documentary where everything is is dramatic and the stakes every all new find the, the greatest thing ever. The thing is. Like I said, there are, there are genuinely interesting things. So there are cameos by the guy who plays Mayor Goldie Wilson. There's a cameo by the guy who plays Principal Strickland. There's a few of these sort of cameos and, and things in which is kind of a bit... Ah. Um, but then you see, like, there's these two Back to the Future collectors in, I want to say Massachusetts, Boston, somewhere that sort of area. They have unrestored Marty's DeLorean. They have... Doc's convertible from Back to the Future Part 2. They have, I think, three of the hero cars, including the one that was smashed up in the, on the railroad tracks. It's amazing to see not just the car, but all of the stuff that goes with it, all of the collections. I find this, I find this kind of, this collecting stuff very slightly odd mm. in that people have, have they've, gone so far down this road of having well it's got to be perfect it's got to be the actual movie car it's no longer it's a replica i own the actual movie delorean and i must be so disappointing because the thing about it in the movie is it sounds like a nascar because they dubbed a nascar v8 on yep. it and it travels through time whereas we all know that the actual delorean's a bag of shite yep only what they've owned is a bag of shite with baubles on it although you did send me a video. Are you going to mention this later? 
I was going to say this. I sent Chris a video um, while he was recovering from having crabs of a twin turbo <laughs> DeLorean, um, which someone has done an LS swap into uh, and done a custom wide body, put LED lights on the rear. It's a little bit seen for my liking, but Chris does love a DeLorean. And it, this is the kind of thing I'd rather see is people taking the DeLorean shape and just jettisoning all the crap <laughs> and fixing it. So I, I, I haven't watched all of this. I, I would like to know if they fix the doors. But, you know, putting a proper engine in it so it actually sounds as good and goes as quickly as it looks, because they still look amazing, mm. even though it's kind of that bluff front reminds me a teeny bit of a Volkswagen Corrado. They just don't live up to the Back to the Future hype, which is why I find it so weird that people like make replicas of them and so on because it's not then a car it's a thing because as a car it's rubbish so I, I watched the video i think there are things in that that i wouldn't do but i appreciate that somebody is actually i mean the lengths that they go to and we'll put a link in the show notes to this the lengths that they go to with that car particularly with the lights i think the fact that we've now got led technology that you hadn't got in the you know, late 70s. Yeah, it's the kind of thing they probably would have done. I I admired the fact that they were doing something different with a DeLorean. It wasn't just, Mm. and here we are, either restoring it to stock or putting an EV drivetrain in it or making it look like the Back to the Future ones, which are basically the three things that people do to DeLoreans. Um, This was different, and I really enjoyed that. And and it's not as bad as Will I Am's attempt to do a DeLorean thing that was absolutely awful. I haven't seen it. Don't care about Will I Am. But speaking of Discovery Plus, yes, Hammond's Hammond's Workshop. I think is it called Hammond's Workshop? The new series on Discovery Plus. It's something like that, yeah. isn't it? Have you watched it? No. We had a text. Oh, I had a message from a listener. <laughs> I was hoping that you were just going to go right. Moving on. <laughs> so we had a message from a listener, which was the start of a thing. And I don't know who did it first, but uh, David Barrett dropped us a message on Twitter at AutoMoviePod pointing out Tyler Hoovey was selling off all of his cars. Now, what we've seen in the last few weeks is Tyler Hoovey, Freddie Tavares Hernandez and Ed Bolian. Also- oh, it's Ed Bolian that started was it? it. He, yeah, it's he started it. He stuck an Instagram post up. Uh, yeah, we see we're totally down with the kids here. Um, he stuck an Instagram post up saying, I am selling all my cars. Everything is for sale because I think he's got an opportunity to buy something mm. um, that requires more capital than he had on hand. And so, and also I think he discovered that he actually had more cars, like 15 cars. <laughs> yes. and, um, so he stuck a thing up there with some some good prices and some thoroughly unrealistic prices for the cars he actually wants to keep, like his his Murcielago, um, or Murcielago if you're normal, uh, was up for something like $750,000, which, you know, I don't think that's the market price of them right now, but if someone went, I know I really want that, and I'm going to give him 750k for it. He'd have been willing to sell it because he could then bank the 250k profit and buy another one at 500k mm. or whatever. But he was effectively selling a bunch of cars, and then it seemed to be this domino effect of then Tyler Hoover goes, "I'm selling all of my cars," because he turns out he'd got 40 cars. <laughs> And the video of him going through them all is very entertaining because you can kind of see him explaining, okay, these are the, you know, he starts off in his garage with the sort of the the principal ones, you know, his SLR and, sorry, his SLS Mm. and his Lamborghini Countach. Lamborghinis. um, (laughs) 
Lamborghinis, yes, as he has multiples, but then kind of goes through all the things he's bought for a show he's doing with Motor Trend called Car Issues, um, where they bought 10 cars for that, um, plus like other random stuff he's got. And he kind of goes through and puts a price on each one. Similarly to, to Ed Bolin, he puts a very big number on the ones he doesn't want to sell. But I've seen a follow-up video where he's like, yeah, people keep offering me the money I asked. <laughs> so I, like some cars I really don't want to sell, but people have basically offered me that money. So he should have put the numbers up higher. So we'll see what's coming out of that. And then Freddie put a video out where he's going around his collection, which is, I think, slightly smaller, but there's... I don't know how serious he is. His is, is 30 But cars. his was a great... Yeah, his his was a, a lovely kind of reintroduction to some of the older projects that if you've been watching his channel for a while, you'll go, oh, I remember that. Like, he's got a 996 Turbo that he found in a barn for fuck all, <laughs> which really instantly annoyed me because you can't get that kind of thing in the UK and I really miss my old 911 Turbo. Um, and he's not really done anything with it. He's reconditioned the turbos and then it's sat on the top of a lift for the last two years. He's got a Lotus Esprit he was working on with um, Jared from Wrench Every Day that's kind of just sat there not doing anything um his uh what's he got an sl55 yes that's he's been promising conversion. to do a, a manual conversion but all of all of the mercedes computers don't want him to do a manual <laughs> conversion so that was i've i've enjoyed watching these because it's kind of an intro back into these you know quite a few viewers i imagine have come to these channels quite recently maybe through car trek and so it's a kind of reintroduction of, hey, all this, all this stuff. And it could be that they're all going to club together and buy a brand new Bugatti Chiron, or it could be that Bolian is going to buy a McLaren F1 from some drug dealer in <laughs> Colombia, or it could be that Freddie is going to buy a burned out Bugatti Chiron. You and I had a conversation over text about this, about the, the relative sanity of doing this. And I uh, I pointed out that a lot of these restorations, they're able to get parts mm. quite easily from the secondhand market or the specialist market. They're able to get workshop manuals, either from the internet or possibly with a bit of tacit help from official manufacturer staff, whether they were used to work there or whether they currently work there. But I think nothing like that exists for the Bugatti Chiron. They're not going to get help from Bugatti. They're not going to be able to get a workshop manual for a Chiron. Sets of spare wheels or bonnets or little brackets none of that's going to exist so i just feel like if that's what they're doing or if any of them ends up with that chiron that was on a bunch of channels having caught fire and now being up for auction i think that's just suicide you'll it'll cost an absolute bomb and it won't be it won't be a project that you'll you'll just pour money into Mm. it and i don't know that you'll be able to get it finished to the standard that you'd want to for a bugatti because they're beautifully made they're beautifully engineered and you what you'd want to uphold that standard and i think it's just going to be so hard Mm. i wonder because it's the three of them and because they all seem to have had a similar idea at a similar time i wonder if the chiron is going to be a bit of a a bit of a co-project because i think it will be the chiron i think the start of freddie's video really hints that way but his collection alone will get him nowhere near what I imagine a, a even a damaged Chiron w- would be. But then I don't know what Ed would do in it. You know, I don't know what Tyler would do it, do with it. It's, I don't know. Well, the thing is, it's well known to be wrecked. So presumably it's on a, what do they call it? A salvage title, yeah. what we would call a cat, a cat C or An a cat D, off, yeah. well, they, they've, they've changed that now. It's like cat S and cat N. Oh. Um, but either way, it's an insurance write-off, so it's always going to have that red flag against it, which is going to severely limit 
the amount you could mm. sell it for once it's finished. So unless you kind of keep it and you each drive it a third of the year or something, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm they could just be doing it for the views. Maybe. You know, that's that's what they they do. And I'm interested to see where it goes, but I have to admit, I feel like it would be just a, such a money pit. Mm. But we will see how that all goes. And those three videos, by the way, um, certainly the okay, the two videos, um, Tyler Hoover talking to all of his cars and Freddie doing his, both of those are very entertaining. And there's a video from Ed Bolian on VinWiki about him talking about the cheapest Lambo, cheapest functioning Lambo <laughs> yes. um, in the USA, which he got for $35,000 unbelievable anyway before i get obscenely jealous and turn green (laughs) uh we should move on to some of the other movie news including the fact that whilst we were both sick uh, i discovered that top gear is all available on the bbc iplayer so if you are in the uk and you have a tv license you can watch from series one of new old new top gear basically the the one hour one that they rebooted it with not the one with angela rippon (laughs) You can watch all of it with the original music, so the, the, with the original score, not the kind of sometimes slightly scruffy score that has been replaced because they couldn't get the rights to all the music when they're pushing it out on Dave. It's mm. the original stuff with the original scoring. And for those, particularly those Clarkson, Hammond and May Top Gears, the score, the music they used in all of the bits is is crucial to how effective it is. But being able to go back to like season one and watch... You know, awkward Jason, um, what's his face? Jason Dawes. And and see him going, yeah, you're not going to last, mate. And watching them come together for the first time to do a feature, all the three of them, watching some of the questionable, you know, can grannies do donuts? And (laughs) what's the fastest faith? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) All of these kind of material burning silly ideas that they used to do before they kind of landed on the few reusable formats of the three of them buying cheap cars and the chases and the challenges and so on and so on. They threw away, they burnt through an awful lot of ideas very quickly in those early series, which I've I've loved watching um, and certainly got through a bunch of those while I wasn't feeling very well. Also on Top Gear News, Top Gear America is now on Discovery Plus and I have noticed that since Motor Trend have finally closed down my account because I had a UK billing address, <laughs> I've no longer been able to watch it online. Even using a VPN doesn't work, which is really annoying. So uh, I'm going to actually go through the tedious process of getting my free Discovery Plus account set up from Sky so I can catch up on what Jethro and his mates have been up to on Top Gear America because I really enjoyed those first few episodes Mm. and I know they've done a bunch more and I haven't been able to watch them. So I'm going to check that out. And if you have Sky, you can get a a year's free Discovery Plus. If you have... So it's Sky VIP is the program, and I don't know which sort of subscription you need to have, but... Oh, no, I've got the really pikey one. I think it's any Sky customer, but if you... Let me get this the right way around. What I would suggest is get set up an account on Discovery Plus, a free one. I think there's a free one. Then if you Google like Sky VIP Discovery Plus, it will then give you how to redeem your 12-month subscription and then you can make it work on your box and you can use it on a on an app you can use it on your desktop or whatever and yeah there's a lot of content on there there's a lot of the most trend stuff has has come over as well as the things that they used to put on like discovery shed or it was discovery shed wasn't it It used to be like turbo and then it became shed 
Yeah, I think so. I, there was a bunch of stuff that Discovery used to do. I can remember watching oh, the, the Builds series with Mark, that guy, Mark, Mark Evans. Mark Evans, where he Plane did a... Plane is born he, and a car is born. Yeah, and... yeah. I loved it. He did a Land Rover is born where he built like a, a sort of cut and shut 100-inch wheelbase Landy with a V8. And, and I really enjoyed watching those because that was that's the proto YouTube build mm. channel, isn't it? It's exactly... Absolutely. I loved watching those and they, they'd be... On a Sunday morning, you'd be lucky if you could get like two or three in a row on on like Channel Four or whenever it, wherever wherever Discovery kind of snuck it in, and I loved those. And it is absolutely the prototype for the kind of build channel that I really really enjoy, like Tavares's channel or any of the other kind of build channels that I end up being subscribed to. Mighty Car Mods, for example, it's got that you know. There's a bit of humour in there. There's a bit of um, learning how to do things, showing you how things are done. There's mm. the sort of you know fantasy wish fulfillment of watching somebody with a bigger budget than yourself do. <laughs> do stuff, do projects. I, I, I love those things. And a proper workshop. Yeah, there's space, man. It's, you know, he lives on a farm, so he's got loads of space. And obviously all these American YouTubers have got infinite space because America is gigantic. And you can rent a warehouse for $1.50 a month. Yes, you can. Oh, finally, while we're on Top Gear, let's quickly zip through that. The main series on BBC One now is back November the 14th. They put a little teaser on and... I'm kind of looking forward to it. I thought the last series was very high quality, especially given the restrictions that they were working under then and presumably are still working under now. You know, I think they put together a very solid run of shows with some really good features. Again, it's always brilliantly made. I know people, including yourself, still have issues with the two northerners. <laughs> um, but I still think it's it's almost essential viewing and you know what it's for all the people that go oh i don't like it anymore it's not as good as it used to be they they're going to drop off watching it there's going to be a whole new generation of people coming up who are starting to watch it because paddy's on it and because freddie's on it so i kind of just every every series i always give it full chance i don't go in there going oh well this could be the last one i watch i'm always like this is a reset to zero let's give it a go so yes back november the 14th which is really not that far away now no and on the november 25th is the newly rebranded almost top gear fifth gear recharged which i'm now trying to see if it's on terrestrial or what is it on discovery plus well it'll only be on at all if they can find a charging point that's actually still working boom <laughs> um, yeah, so this fifth gear are now all EV all of the time. So they're going to kind of whir onto the screen like a milk float and then trundle along a runway until the battery gets too hot and then they're going to have to sit down for a couple of hours. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Right. Ooh. Sorry. That was fifth gear. That, that was... <laughs> <laughs> So, Fifth Gear Recharge will launch in the UK November 25th on Discovery Plus before moving back to Quest. Brownie points if you can name which channel that's on. Uh, December the 2nd. However, some of the highlights of the new Fifth Gear si uh, Recharge season, season include Karun Chandok testing the new Cupra Born, the world's first electric hot hatch. I didn't know that there was such a thing. Um, Rory Reid. Now, Getting Rory Reid back onto telly, that's no bad thing. Then we've got Jason Potato, who is driving. What do you think he's driving? I don't know, but there's a part of me that hopes he's just like, yeah, I see all your EV hippie bullshit, but I'm just going to come here sideways into frame in a 911 turbo with all four wheels fully lit and an armful of opposite lock. Nearly. Because it's realistically, I want them to be, I, I want it to be this kind of pious 
Evie's a great man. Really, honestly, we promised they're really good now and you can get charged everywhere. And then for Plato to just be constantly undermining them at every turn. <laughs> like some kind of child, like the childish school kid that he really is. <laughs> and, and to just be like, yeah, but yeah, but look, I can fill up in like five minutes from over 8,000 petrol stations across the whole UK. And my car doesn't run out of range when it gets cold. No, he, he's driving in this new series, the Ferrari SF90. That well-known electric car. It's an EV. It's got batteries in it. Technically, all cars are EVs because they have an battery. No, the the battery doesn't power the wheels. Some of them... It does. The wheels won't go round unless the battery is there. Yes, they will. No, they won't. I bet you they could. I bet you they won't. If you take the battery out while it's moving, they might. But no, you, you you know the Chevy Volt or the Vauxhall... Was it uh, Vauxhall, Vauxhall, Vauxhall... What was the Vauxhall version called? Ampera. I can't remember. They keep they they the Ampera. They, they give their cars stupid names. There's a Vauxhall dealership at the end of my road, and and there's things like get the new Adam, and I <laughs> keep wanting to go along with a massive brush and write no, it's shit <laughs> next to the poster. The, but no, the, the Ampera was an interesting car because that was like a diesel locomotive in that it was electric motors that drove the wheels, and you had a petrol engine. I think that basically acted as a generator to charge the battery to power the wheels. Isn't that what the range extender does in the BMW i3? I should say I own a BMW i3, so whilst I am ragging on EVs and will continue to do so constantly, (laughs) I do actually own one, and I use it for what EVs are really good for, which is to drive to the shops and back. Shall we talk about, before we get on to a man who likes his Macallan, should we talk about what we are drinking this evening? We probably should. Um, in honour of Andrew Bayliss, who has forever ruined this section, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> what Scottish single malted beverage are you imbibing this evening? So, I have, and I'm holding it up to the camera, which is really good on an audio podcast, I have this bottle. I got it from Brook Laddick for some reason, I can't remember what. It's a sample of the Port Charlotte Levin, which is apparently 59.5%. Ooh, I love the Brickladdy Port Charlotte. I had a bottle of that. I must get some more of that. That was really, really nice. I'm not a fan of their, like, regular stuff, but the Port Charlotte I really loved. This is really does hide its proof, and it's utterly... Utterly packed with flavour. And I don't... the thing is, though, you say they've sent me a sample. It's a bottle. It could be any bottle, and they've written on it in crayon that says "Honest, this is Port Charlotte." <laughs> when really, what it could be is a urine sample from the distiller. And so, tell you what, if if his if his urine tastes like this, this is actually <laughs> this is You'd actually expect it, it to actually because say... he probably gets through quite a lot. Of... <laughs> this is like this is a kosher like duty paid sample thing. So, I. Christ knows where I got it from, but yeah, it's the PC11 release from quite some time ago, and it's utterly fantastic. And it's, I mean, you know, my crabs did knock out my some of my taste for a little bit, but it's all well, well back and functioning now, and I'm really enjoying this. And it's a tiny little bottle, and it's almost empty, so I'm very sad. What are you drinking? I am. I'm. I'm rolling kind of normal. For me, I've gone with the Balvenie Doublewood 17, which was a gift from somebody at work, I think. And it's kind of standard issue, delicious single malt. Uh, I was thinking about going for one of the uh, bourbons that you have sent me. But honestly, I, I'm still a bit wary of the kind of diesel and Red Bull taste <laughs> where I feel like I would be able to blow flames out of my mouth after drinking it. But I am learning that there is a bit more to 
to um, bourbon than just that taste. But either way, yes, I have some very nice Balvenny. Um, I should add that since we've last recorded, uh, quite a lot has gone on. I've been to Scotland and back again on a on a road trip with my petrol head mates, which was really enjoyable. All of them podcast listeners, so I'm going to give a shout out to the Highland Hoon. Let's strap some cars lot. Um, I will be beeping that, but. <laughs> Uh, we had a great time. Everybody is has, has passed on good feedback about the podcast. I did drink some tenants while I was there because when in Rome, you kind of have to. And I, I hate to admit it, but it wasn't the worst thing I drank. <laughs> so I had a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a sneaky last minute car trip. Obviously, we've both been to see the James Bond movie mm. since we put out our podcast, and. I think it's fair to say we both liked it. Yep. I think it's also fair to say that we probably shouldn't spoil the end. No. Or the middle, or or even the start. Although the start does have all the good car stuff in it, let's be honest. It does. So I, you've seen a bunch of it on the trailers. Uh, put it this way, I, it made me kind of like the whole E46 M3 based <laughs> DB5 thing. They do good stuff with that car. There's loads of other cool stuff in there. Like there's some old uh, Maseratis in there mm. that the bad guys are chasing him in, in at the start, which I kind of made me go. I'm getting old now. I quite fancy an old Maserati. And then I <laughs> caught myself and slapped myself around the face because as soon as I got hold of it, it would turn into a bucket of rust. <laughs> yeah. There's loads of other, there's, you know, the, there's lots of JLR product in there. There's Land Rovers. The, the new Defender does some absolutely massive jumps, which you will have mm. seen if you've read any recent issue of Evo magazine. Um, Ace photographer David Shepard took some shots of that particular scene where these bad guys in black new defenders are jumping and chasing bond in a somewhat off-brand um land cruiser i think it is yeah which seems weird i kind of wanted to swap it around so that bonds in the british ish not not at all owned by an indian company land rover and the bad guys are in the land cruiser but the problem with that is that we all know that despite me loving the new defender and knowing two or three people who have now got them and say that they're super amazing and quite reliable actually we all know that the land cruiser is going to outlive all of them <laughs> archaeologists will be digging up land cruisers they will they will but yes the new bond movie loads of stuff in it for petrol heads i am not a bond traditionalist i have friends who are like no just needs to be like it was in the old days with Bodger <laughs> moore and stupid double taking pigeons and the same formula just cranked through and through again and i am not one of those and so i thoroughly enjoyed this movie which takes the bond trope and kind of flips it around a bit and does some new things with it either way I think it's just clicked over $600 million at the global box office, which is wow. a huge amount of money. But I am told, or I read somewhere, that it won't make money until it makes over $800 million, which I think is a stretch for a post-COVID box office taking. In weirdo Hollywood accounting, somehow mm. $400 million or $600 million still means that it's in the red. Uh, but it's worth watching. If you haven't been to see it, it's probably still playing at your local Cineplex. Um, there's great car stuff in it, and I did delight when the credits rolled in spotting names that I recognised in the stunt list. So um, Rally Ace, Mark Higgins, yep. multiple British rally champion, and he of the best save in the world at the Isle of Man TT <laughs> in an Impreza. Um, he's front and centre. I know that he did a bunch of the driving. And there's been a bunch of videos actually on YouTube you can see of him taking um, Formula One stars out in that DB5 with the E46 M3 chassis and engine. Um, Nico Hulkenberg from the um, Aston Martin team, 
was driving around the final corner in uh, Monza. Monza. Yeah, coming down the, the lost straight and going around Parabolica. Hulkenberg has like three goes at it. The first time Higgins just does this huge, beautifully held drift, as you would expect. And, and Hulkenberg, like all modern racing drivers, is unable to do that because they are all taught that sideways is slow and yep. sideways is bad and that you should catch a slide <laughs> immediately. And so, you know, they all have brilliant reflexes but they're not used to driving a car with a big wooden steering wheel and low geared steering and wobbly suspension and thin skinny tires so watching him get the hang of it and by the third i think a third attempt he he, he's got it and then there's a separate segment same car still with mark higgins but it's with martin brundle sebastian vettel and lance stroll at Mm. silverstone where they have a go at doing some kind of jim carner-esque you know can you do a handbrake turn can you do a, a, a j turn can you do a donut in a in a square and brundle is of course up for a, uh, up for a go and and does well i think seb vettel actually does the best and lance stroll's rubbish as with so many things in life <laughs> i'm sorry lance stroll but a your eyebrows look like they belong on a puppet from sesame street and b you're only there because your dad owns the company I've been watching a lot of Josh Revel's videos, which I, I love with a with a passion. I think the more I watch, the more I enjoy them. And he, he keeps calling him Sir Lancelot. <laughs> and, and now I can't stop. What did you think to, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, The is it the Timothy Dalton Vantage? It is. And I, I loved seeing it. I love that it's in the movie. Um, it's it's weird because you're seeing it in the context of a modern movie which contains both the, the sort of the DB5 that came before it and it contains the DBS Superleggera mm. that is um, briefly glimpsed in the trailer that is barely in this movie um, and they just don't take advantage of having such a brilliant car in the film at all. I still firmly believe that that should be James Bond's car because it's, it's a Bond car. Mm. Um, but... I I loved seeing the fact that they broke out a, a slightly different vintage of Bond car and mm. it looked cool. I do I want one in the same way that I might want a regular old V12 Vantage? No, but if I were getting a bit older, which I am, <laughs> and let's say I got a little bit older still and suddenly came into a pile of money, I might want one of those to just cruise around in. It would have to be dark green, obviously, but I love I loved seeing them pay homage to the Dalton era Bond because mm. it's kind of forgotten that he did two movies and was gone. And I loved seeing that car in there. It didn't get to do as much action as the DBS did. Sorry, not the DBS, the DB5. The DBS kind of disappointingly rolls onto a, onto a runway. And as I think Henry Catchpole put it, it was primed for one of those kind of Top Gear style enter from the left with an armful of opposite lock <laughs> and do a big smoky drift onto the runway. But instead you get this kind of pathetic little twitch that is clearly caught by the traction control, not the driver. And it... <laughs> It was rubbish, and I watched it in the cinema thinking, well, that was rubbish. Is that the best you've got? (laughs) And I'm glad I wasn't the only one. However, 
there's loads of stuff for petrol heads in this movie loads mm. of stuff loads of like interesting background cars and it's a fun bond movie especially if you are not a dyed in the wool traditionalist that believes all the bonds should be the same with just changing characters every now and then speaking of big car films one last thing before we get on to our review for this episode matt lange friend of the podcast pointed out that there's a car dealership in miami called curated who we shall come on to later, who are selling a collection of screen-used Michael Bay film cars from the Transformers films. Now, it's fair to say the price is a little strong. Um, For example, there is a Mercedes SLS, which is an express fleet car, apparently possibly been in Evo at some point, um, which was driven in one of the films. So these are not kind of hero prop replica type I did cars. see that one and think, really? You're going, that's tenuous. That's not like, yeah. it's not Bumblebee or Optimus Prime, is it? It's just this car rumbled onto screen for five minutes. And somebody and sat then in it. was gone. Yeah, that's it. And and then you can go, this was in the Transformers movie. So this four, these four cars, there is Dodge Challenger Bumblebee, which I think is unique there is a barricade police car which is based on something american but that's still in full movie get up um you know with the bull bars on the front and things there's an sls which is an express fleet car and is completely bone stock and a a aventador which was in the film was bought given to possibly uh, Michael Bay by Lamborghini and is otherwise an event store that's been owned by somebody famous. They are looking for $2 million for the set. Someone's going to buy it, but I'm not sure they're going to get a bargain. I mean, how much is an event store on the used market? Definitely $400,000, let's say. An SLS? 150. Yeah, maybe 175. And then you're looking at Okay, well, you've got nearly $1.4 million to cover what is effectively a Dodge Charger and an other American muscle car that happened to be used and are on, on a film and therefore, you know, got police bars mm. and the other one is yellow and black. You'd need to be a pretty big fan of the Transformers and have a lot of money that you don't mind losing. <laughs> um, I would suggest that if you wanted those specific cars but have no attachment, then you could get all of them for less than a million <laughs> with significant amount of change. But you know, Definitely. people are weird, and they might you know they 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 see celebrity and screen used as a as a big thing, and the car market is kind of crazy, especially in the US and especially for. Um, performance cars right now, so yeah. maybe they will get the two million. Curated prices do seem on the, the toppy side, generally speaking. There is a good interview with Michael Bay and the guy from Curated, whose name I've forgotten. Let me scroll John Tamerian. John Tamerian, that's the one, um, where he talks about not just about these cars, but also about why you know the turbo 3.6 ended up in bad boys apparently porsche wouldn't give him a car but porsche when the film came out was a success porsche did then uh, throw the uh, party in can so um we've covered this in our previous podcast about michael bay and his early films we talked about the 3.6 turbo when we talked about bad boys yes it's michael bay's own car 
because they wouldn't lend him one, so he used his own one. Yeah, so there are... It's, it's a kind of interesting interview, and it kind of tells you a bit about Michael Bay in good or not ways. Um, anyway, we've been talking now for a long time. Congratulations if you're still with us. Let's get into our review, and for this... Because we've got Bond, because we've got all the news, we've got one film, and it's a film that I hadn't watched until two days ago. And I think since we almost probably since we started this podcast, you were saying we should do this film. So why don't you introduce Mad Max Fury Road? Yes, you're right. We have been promising to do this for a very long time. So this is the fourth film in the Mad Max series. It's directed by George Miller came out in 2015 and it tells a story that takes the character of Max Rokotansky from the first movie and and onwards and places him in one of the most bonkers movies I have ever watched. (laughs) Max Rokotansky this time is played by Tom Hardy uh, originally, this movie has been in production, or rather has been trying to be made, or had been trying to be made, for a very long time. George Miller, the director, was trying to make this for years and years and years and years. And I think there might have been some intention of bringing Crazy Mel Gibson back to play the character that he originated. However, along that time, Crazy Mel Gibson became Problematic Mel Gibson. And so <laughs> they couldn't use Problematic Mel Gibson anymore because of all the racism and xenophobia. <laughs> But apart from that... Apart from that, so instead what they've done is drop in uh, Tom Hardy. And I I found that kind of weird, and we'll come to that in a minute, but let me give you... I'll, I'll give you a praise of the plot. If you haven't seen Max, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, then this is, none of this is going to make any sense because it's just a bunch of words and weird, <laughs> weird names. And if you have seen it, then I'm just basically preaching to the choir. But effectively, it's still in this post-apocalyptic desert wasteland following societal collapse after nuclear war or something like that. And, and petrol and water are still rationed and, and prized above all else. Max Rokotansky is on the run and then gets captured and taken to a sort of secret hideout of a guy called Immortan Joe. Uh, he has uh, like a gang of war boys who are his his personal bodyguards and army. Max gets imprisoned and used as a blood bag for one of these war boys who's not very well. He's kind of basically donating his blood and he's hooked up to it like an IV drip that takes blood out of Max and puts it into this this war boy called Nux. Um, and you're kind of introduced to Max at the start of the movie. He gets captured. He's he's not quite tortured, but he's used as just basically a portable blood bag for this, this war boy. Um, and then you're introduced to a character called Imperator Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron, who's one of Immortan Joe's lieutenants, and she's dispatched in an armoured, like, fuel rig, effectively, Mm. called a war rig, to fetch back petrol and ammo from a place called Bullet Town. Bullet Farm. Bullet Farm, that's right, and I don't remember what the fuel place is called. Me either. However, she betrays Immortan Joe and basically runs away with his harem. You know, he's got five young, gorgeous wives that he is sleeping with to breed children. Um, And they have basically begged and paid Imperator Furiosa to help them escape. And so she 
disappears off in this war rig, what looks like a kind of a BP petrol lorry, but painted black <laughs> with spikes all over it. Um, and these wives hiding out in a little hidden compartment underneath the truck. And Imperator, uh, no, sorry, and uh, Immortan Joe gets all of his war boys together and they get into a bunch of post-apocalyptic muscle cars with spikes all over them and and fire coming out the back and they've all got superchargers that actually work this time. (laughs) And they give chase. And the whole movie is basically split into two parts. The first half of it is a gigantic chase sequence. And the second half of it is a gigantic race sequence. And it's... Some of the most bonkers, amazing action I have ever seen put onto film. And everyone has, you know, I remember when this came out and people were going nuts for it. Action fans, Mad Max fans, cinema fans were just loving this amazing construction because almost everything that you see on screen, they tried as hard as possible to do it for real. There is as little CG dedicated to the stunts as they could get away with. So rather than the kind of Fast and Furious style, which can veer between incredible practical stunts and somewhat questionable CGI stunts, this is as much done in camera as they could possibly get away with. They went to incredible lengths to put together rigs for filming this stuff, to develop ways of flipping cars, to allow the stunt people control over where the car was going, to make sure that all of these people who are chasing down this war rig driven by Imperator Furiosa... They go through like a series of attacks where they try and run it off the road. They try and get people to land on top of it. There are scenes where Cirque du Soleil performers are swaying backwards and forwards on these like eight metre high poles. They're called pole cats. And they did all that for real. There are chunks of it that you, you sort of watch it with disbelief where you think... How the hell did no one die doing this? (laughs) Because not only are you watching all these amazing stunts go off in the middle of a desert, um, they shot it all in uh, Namibia largely to get the kind of epic sweeping landscapes that this, this takes place in. But you're watching all of these people doing these stunts in close proximity to vehicles that are covered in hot exhausts and spiky, sticky out things that would kill you. Which is really the point of the the sort of post-apocalyptic societies. Half these cars are covered in spikes and people fall onto those spikes and explode and die in horrible ways. And it's, I could say it is bonkers, but somehow it tells a really coherent story. All the action is done on the move. All of the the character development is done on the move. It reminded me a lot of Terminator 2 in that respect, where people don't sit around talking about their feelings or or, or (laughs) what happened. All of the things you learn about these characters, you learn while they're on the move, running from something. And so, yeah, you you get this, this chase sequence and Max is basically stuck to the front of um, a car which is being driven by this this war boy called Nux, this this basically sick army guy who all of these war boys are super pale and they've got like tattoos and 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 scars all over them and they've all got no hair and he's basically strapped to the front of this car still donating blood back to this guy and you know big crash he ends up escaping and 
stealing the truck from Imperator Furiosa. And they kind of come to an agreement where he drives and helps them rescue because he wants to get away from Immortan Joe and all of his gang as well. And then it goes on from there. I don't want to kind of tell the entire plot, (laughs) but there's such incredible stunts going on here with you know the vehicle work the the stunt performers putting not them putting themselves in harm's way but putting everything in the camera Mm. as i understand it a whole bunch of the stunts are done for real and they use cgi to basically just remove the safety rigs Mm. so the rigs they've got strapped to the bp petrol lorry um (laughs) you know the 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 safety wires that are on the stunt performers you've got things like um what looks like a Volkswagen Beetle, but with monster truck wheels doing a barrel roll. And that, they just did it. They just did it for real. And the only concession to safety was in the film, I think it barrel rolls over the top of the the, the BP lorry. And they just did the barrel roll first. And then they did the BP lorry afterwards and just kind of composited the two together. But both things were done for real. There's shots of guys on bikes doing massive drop-offs and uh, me being a kind of trials bike nerd, I can see that these are trials bikes or, you know, um, uh, motocross bikes. And it's the thing you see in loads of movies where there are, if there's any kind of bike chase, you can spot the moment that, you know, they go, right, well, we've got a bunch of motocross riders in here who do freestyle motocross. So you ask them what tricks they're comfortable doing. And they're like, yeah, we can do backflips. We can do knack-knacks. We can do can-cans. <laughs> we can do one-handed thingies, you know. And you watch them do this and you think, yep, you've just done, you've, that's a motocross rider right there. <laughs> this guy has just come off the Red Bull, um, <laughs> the Red Bull tour. But it, in the context of this movie, and because we've seen all these other movies where you've established that these are motorcycle gangs and there are car gangs and so on, it all... It all works. It's, you know, some of the stuff is pretty gruesome. It's pretty graphic. Mm. Um, some of the visuals are are kind of unpleasant. Um, but it's all in service of a really driving and dynamic story. Um, Tom Hardy as Max Rokotansky is... I don't feel like it's the same Max, in all honesty, Mel Gibson does Crazy Eyes better than anyone else before he became problematic Mel Gibson. Um, <laughs> Tom Hardy's face is not structured to do crazy. He has, he's just the way his eyes are, he's got these kind of two folds that that angle downwards. So he looks sad. He doesn't look crazy. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. Now, through the movie, he's supposed to be having visions of his dead family, Um I'm not sure if it's the same family as from Matt and Max, the first one, which we reviewed a few shows ago, where, you know, they get more or less brutally murdered and it's horrible and neither Chris nor I enjoyed watching that portion of the movie. No. Um, But Max is kind of driven by visions of his dead wife and his dead daughter in particular kind of haunting him. And Tom Hardy's really good at doing haunted, but he's not really good at doing the kind of the, the crazy that mad max is meant to have he's not mad in this movie at all he's he's haunted and he's sad but he's also super competent he's a good fighter he's very good at tactician and it's all done with kind of physical acting it's Mm. not it's not done by dialogue which i guess is in keeping with the series the one thing i will say is of course the shadow of bane from the dark knight rises (laughs) hangs over tom hardy 
and any kind of special voice he tries to do. And so I don't know what they're trying to do with him. There's a voiceover right at the start of the movie where he's trying to do like a hint of an Aussie accent like it, Max was in the original, and it kind of works there. Yeah. And then when you're dropped into the movie, it's just basically, it's almost like Bane going, I'm Gotham The opening voiceover reminded me of you doing the impression of Jason Statham at the start of Truth in 24. <laughs> oh, just, I'd love that. I'd love that. But, but there was a degree of it. I didn't expect him to go. It always rains <laughs> at Le Mans. I watched. Um, so I've I watched several things after watching the film for the first time. I've watched this film twice in two days because oh, I've only of the managed effect. to watch it all the way through once. Um, and I've watched some of the making of special mm. edition stuff on the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, which wow. I highly recommend. It looks if you've got a 4K TV and a 4K Blu-ray player, it looks spectacular. It's in THX Dolby surround sound. The sound is amazing. Mm. Um, the visuals on on a 4K are almost so good they start to become less real because of the some of the tricks that george miller plays in he's undercranked some shots so they're kind of jerky because they're they're, they're then sped back up to 24 frames a they're, second they're, they're skipping frames so yeah i actually which watched is the, it. it's the saving private ryan trick that they did in the the, the omaha beach thing well the thing thing was that i watched it so i watched it on amazon prime so i was streaming streaming it when i watched it and it's not just the slowing down and speeding up because the speed, I mean, particularly at the start, the speed ramps to try and give a sense of like tension and things becoming urgent. But actually, they don't just overcrank it and undercrank it. They actually, it, it literally jitters to try and give a sense of anxiety, which when you're streaming it, and I, I thought that the stream was dropping frames initially. And it wasn't yeah, I until I went Blu-ray back and looked wrong. at it. I was like, yeah, and I went, oh, oh, right. Yeah, I thought the, the, the disc had stopped working. It's that thing, like, there's a um, the first album by Garbage, the very first song on that is called Super Vixen, and it, has, it starts with a moment where the whole thing plays the riff and then cuts to silence for just long enough for you to make you think, has my stereo broken? <laughs> oh, that's genius. <laughs> and it, 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 it reminded me of that a little bit, but, yeah, I... I mean, I can see why everyone raves about this movie. I can see why it is... This goes right at, right into the top five of amazing movie car chases, if you can call it that. It's this gigantic thing. The shots are epic. There's loads, because they have access to the Namibia desert, there's loads of these gorgeous, incredibly wide shots that show the chase happening in you know, very, very small vehicles chasing one another over the horizon. There's the kind of shots that you just, you don't get anywhere else. And it really does make you respect and admire the stunt team for putting all this together in a safe way that meant no one got hurt, no one died. (laughs) Because you watch the stuff on the screen, you go, how did no one die? This is, it's (laughs) so brutal. I mean, the fact that, you know, all of the wheels on the, the BP war rig have got, like sticky out things mm. and you know sharp, lots effectively them. lots of sharp knives sticking out all the time so the i mean charlie Theron is always good but mm. she's so good in this mm. i mean you can see why she got a lot of the plaudits i think tom hardy got a lot of the plaudits too because i think he does a great job with 
a character that he didn't originate, but she's phenomenal in this. And there's, I think there is going to be a seek and not not a sequel, a prequel called Furiosa. I Mm. don't know that Charlie Theron is going to play the character again. I think they might give it to somebody younger, Uh, but she's so good in this. So physically capable as she always is. She's, but also, you know, she's doing all the heavy lifting, all the dramatic heavy lifting is coming from her. Oh God. Yeah. So, one thing that I would say, I mean, I came into this completely cold. So all I knew going in literally was the title and I'd seen the poster. So I, I'd seen like uh, Charlie's Thrones like has this really heavy makeup and, and all this sort of thing. That was all I knew going in. And I, I, I think my first, like the first half an hour was me just going, wait, what? But uh, What? Because it was just, it wasn't what I was expecting. And what I, what I did once I'd watched it the first time was I went away and there is, <laughs> this sounds really bad. One of my favourite YouTube channels is a channel called Cinema Wins. And if they like a film, they go through and just dissect it. And if they really like a film, they do a two-part review. So like Scott Pilgrim has two parts. This has a three-part review, basically, of the film because there's so much in it that you want to talk about. And it's written and presented by somebody who loves Mad Max. Not just this film, but the whole series and the comic books. And he knows the characters and he knows the mythology. And you realise watching those just how deep they go in the Mad Max canon to start pulling all of this stuff out. But what it also did is it explained to me who all these different people are because it does that pulp fiction thing where it doesn't tell you who they are or why they are or how they got there or what the significance of the white makeup or any of this stuff is they just are so you kind of you get on board and immediately you're you're racing to catch up and you're re- you're racing to sort of go hang on who's that why are they doing that why are they following these people and what i really sort of came away from that was was two things one was this isn't the film I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like Mad Max, this kind of <sighs> people going and doing bad things. When in fact, it's actually much more a fantasy film. It almost sits up there with things like Sin City. Even though this sounds really odd, but it, it, it kind of almost reminded me of like Labyrinth and those sorts of films where it's all like... Um, Stardust is probably a slightly odd example because the stories are quite so different, but just that thing of like, this is a completely separate world. The, what the character's going through is completely different and the the struggles, the religions, all of these things have been just thrown into the story. The production design is unbelievable. The fact that you have one of these lorries, the back of which has like, six Japanese Komodo drummers or whatever they are with like the massive bum, 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 bum. And then on the front is a guy standing in front of a wall of amps playing a double neck guitar that shoots fire. And they go into battle with this like rock guitarist strapped to the front of a lorry. It's, it's just, you. there comes a point where you have to kind of give yourself over to it. Because I think you can either go down this road where you're trying to just understand the fancy of it or you just start looking at the production design and 
for this culture where they are now, like people are commodities. There's a scene early on where they have, it's not at all like Handmaid's Tale, where they're just commoditizing women to be breeding stock and, you know, basically for milk production. And they're, the way that they, they use these war boys to operate a car lift, some, like the depth of thought that has gone into the production is astonishing. You've got, you know, you've then got, I think, a really, really strong story at the middle of it as well. So even if you don't necessarily get the mythology, you understand the human struggle. You understand what these people are trying to do, what they're trying to get away from. The, the things that have happened have never really are never really referenced, but there are people struggling with radiation sickness and this kind of the idea of like the post-apocalyptic nuclear environment. But the one thing that I did I did find in in my research was that they storyboarded this, which is no surprise whatsoever. And I think they said they came up with something like three and a half thousand panels for this storyboard, which is essentially the same as the number of shots that were in the film. And some of the shots could almost be straight from a comic book. The way that they use colour, the way that they have one truck going across this kind of featureless desert but because it's blue you know it's at night you've got these creatures walking through frame which are never referenced before or after but it's just beautiful and it's that I think you're absolutely right that you've got these wide scenes which some of them you could literally take any frame and make it into a print by the same token, you almost want to go up to any of the vehicles, and my God, the imagination that have gone into these vehicles. You want to go in and you want to look at every single last detail right the way out to looking at these huge vistas. It's it's genuinely astonishing, and I think the cars in particular, because Mad Max is so... Like, the original film is so low-budget... It's, you know, they didn't have the budget to do a lot with the vehicles. Whereas with this, they have cars built of two cars. There was one of the vehicles that's got like a Mercedes 190 strapped to the front of it for no apparent reason. But they all have this sense of the vehicles that have been scavenged, that are homemade, that these people have built to do a job because that's kind of all that they have now because everything is so scarce. I don't know if you noticed, the guy who plays um, Thingy Joe. Immortan uh, Joe. He's Immortan from the Joe. first movie, isn't he? He is. He's the like the leader of the gang from the first film. And- you don't really see him. I mean, he's, he's heavily disguised. He's made up. There's kind of boils and, and his skin's all totally fucked up and he's in a mask the whole time and and you, you don't he he's doing kind of crazy eyes acting because mm. may gibson crazy mel gibson isn't there anymore <laughs> um but yeah he's really entertaining just in 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 the way of it in the kind of sheer desperation of him of, of basically him being betrayed by imperator furiosa and he's frantically trying to get his his wives back because that's how he keeps his war boys populated effectively he's basically mm. just raising a bunch of sons who are killers yeah like you say it is it's stunning looking this mm. is a movie much like the lord of the rings trilogy the original ones where i think digital coloring and grading and that kind of 
dynamic enhancing of the picture is used as an artistic tool. So, like, in, in Lord of the Rings, if you look at any shot of um, the elf, what's his name? Gimli? Gimlet? No, that's the dwarf. I've forgotten his name. The guy that know. Orlando Bloom plays. Either way, whenever you look at him on screen, he's, he's kind of glowing, and that is effectively a digital effect that they've placed over the top of him in a kind of Photoshop style where they've basically gone, they've selected a little oval and laid it over the top of his head and said, make this glow a little bit kind <laughs> of, you know... Uh, that's all. That's what they've done. You can see it in the making of documentaries. And there's a moment right at the very end of this where they do the same trick where Max is in a crowd of people and he turns and his face is looking at Furiosa. And mm. they've pulled the highlight so everything else is... All the other people in the frame are dimmed down and it's like they've put a very gentle spotlight on him. And there's loads of moments like that where they've used digital coloration and digital grading on the image to emphasise the dramatic... And I know these things and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of always cursed with this need to know how <laughs> things are done and need to see the workings behind the mirror. But it doesn't, in this case, it just doesn't detract from the movie. I'm able to, to, to kind of enjoy the film while also enjoying the craft. And oh, yeah. I think that is a mark of a really, really well-made movie. So... We've been waiting to review this for months, if not years, and now we finally have, and I think it's fair to say we both absolutely loved it, and it goes into my top five movie car chases, or my top five car chase movies of all time. You know, you're, you're looking at this and Blues Brothers and Ronin and... It's right up there, the craft mm. here, and the fact that I think this cannot have been ignored by the Fast and Furious franchise team. To see the level of practical expertise and in-camera stunt work must have pushed them further to, to veer away from CG and try and do as much in camera as possible. And I'm thinking of like the, the fights inside trailers in fast seven, like the last movie that Paul Walker did, mm. um, where that is all in camera and it's all for real. And there's an awful lot of practical stunt work there or, you know, the, the, whatever the last one was where they drove cars out of a plane and they could have done that with CG, but it turns out they know they actually just drove some cars out of a plane. Mm. It's also, also worth pointing out, for, again, I, I, I'm shocked that I kind of left it this long and I, I heartily give it sort of two thumbs up, but just looking at the awards, so Mad, so this film got 10 Oscar nominations and it won five of them. And Which for an action movie, specifically, you know, this isn't in America, it would be R-rated. Mm. Uh, I forget what the certificate is. It's a 15 in the UK. There is some pretty graphic violence. The language isn't particularly bad. There's there's no nudity to speak of. But it is... It, it, the the action and the violence is, is quite brutal, and I can see why it is. But for an action movie like this that is so stylized mm. and so kind of weird and out there, the world of Mad Max is weird and out there, for it to get nominated and for it to win in... And they're all technical, aren't they? 
sorry, six categories, not, um, sorry, one in six, not five. So it won for best costume design, sound editing, sound mixing, fair, film yeah. editing, um, makeup and hairstyling, and production design. All I think that's fair. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> They're all the technical categories. Uh, uh, interestingly, this was edited by the director's wife, mm. um, which has hints of George Lucas and Marcy Lucas about it because she edited the first Star Wars movie and she's largely responsible for how effective that is in building tension and perhaps not having someone as skilled in editing maybe meant that the prequels were a bit rubbish. I think this is a phenomenal piece of work. Absolutely phenomenal. And, and, I'm I'm glad I've seen it. I'm glad I've got it on 4K because it means you know when I'm next, when I next feel the need to see something just outrageous and crazy, I can put this on. <laughs> it is the kind of thing you would use as a reference disc for you know if you get a brand new, mm. if you've got space for a big ass OLED TV, um, this would be an amazing reference disc to to check out what oh, your new yeah. TV can do on it. And you know similarly the sound system, the sound is incredible. The score is really good. It's by uh, Mark Mencina, who's a big favourite of mine. He um, he came to the forefront doing scores for early uh, Jan de Bont movies like Speed and Twister. But he's done a whole bunch of other things as well. And his, the score for this is really good. But yeah, I cannot recommend this enough. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. And if you have seen it, then please do feel free to get in touch at Auto Movie Pod on Twitter and tell us what idiots we are for not having seen this sooner. <laughs> Let's move on to what Henry Catchball has been up to this week, or this month, in fact, because we haven't done this for a month. Yes. Because, you know, I had the cold and Chris had crabs. So <laughs> what have been your favourite things that Henry Catchball has done? So... My favourite, he, he did a few recently, which are as good as as, as they ever are. He did a, a good first look at the new Range Rover, which the guys at the at the motoring uh, motoring podcast reckoned was a Range Rover that had gone through Mercedes' smoothing machine. So whenever Mercedes releases an EV version of some car they already have, they have a special mangle that they put that car through, and it comes out all smooth and streamlined and lovely. However, I think, and I'm not sure what it is, but there's been a real renaissance at Carfection recently. So they did a good film about the Radical SR1. There was one at GTO Engineering that went up, I think, yesterday. I haven't seen that one yet. Andrew Goy in the, uh, Andrew, Alex Goy even, in the um, Clio V6 is another really good, uh, really good episode. Um, so, yes. What do you think to the new Range Rover? I I remember that they leak because of course there's this uh, leak of some of the press shots which I think a bunch of sort of grizzled old journalists were were pretty knocked about because it shows that somebody's breaking embargo and and mm. spoiling all the hard work from all the people who are trying to do this the proper way. I, I was going to go with the flip. Oh look, they've just made the new Range Rover looks just like the old one. But actually. Watching Henry's walk around, you can see where the differences have been made. I think the rear mm. treatment is amazing. It's very mm. smooth, and it's aided by the fact that all the press cars are in that matte finish, which kind of ex- exaggerates how smooth everything is. Um, 
I like it. You know, I'm, am I going to be in the market for one? No. Am I going to be in the market one from 10 years' time? Absolutely. I want one that's done 100,000 miles. <laughs> I had a Range Rover. We had a Range Rover about six years ago, which we bought to do a holiday to the south of France and then probably sold it again. I didn't want to sell it. It was going to be our family car, but um, it turns out that trying to park a Range Rover in the spaces in our local town um, means that you can't get out of the car once you've parked it. Also, when you get out of a Range Rover, it does rather dwarf you a little bit. Well, these are, I mean, I had a, like I, had anti, the, I had the, I had the previous Johnson. gen. Yeah, I had the previous gen one. I loved it. Super comfortable. One of the favourite cars I've ever owned. But uh, my wife didn't like it because it was too big for the parking spaces. So while you could park it, you couldn't actually get out of it once you parked it. <laughs> and, and that was fair enough. So we sold it. But I would love to have another one. And I'd have the previous gen so what is basically that shape but not quite as smooth there's something about them i know they can be unreliable i know they can be expensive but they they offer a driving experience that you, nobody else has really quite matched unless you go to kind of crazy silly money like cullinans and bentegas and the like um i think it looks good i think they've done a great job with it and it's going to sell as much as range rovers always sell it's basically the thing that props up jlr because you know, Jaguar can't do anything that anyone wants anymore, it seems. And so they're going to try their hand at EVs. And meanwhile, Land Rover and Range Rover are going from strength to strength. Yep. Should we do our YouTube picks? Yes, let's. Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, so I... In, in the show notes, I haven't put who, who actually talks about this. So for my pick, somebody who I really should actually know um, did a video on how did Tyler Hoovey launch nine successful YouTube channels? I'm going to have to correct you because you keep calling him Tyler Hoovey. Hoovey is Hoover. his nickname. Hoover. Hoover. It just sounds weird. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, we're all about pedantry on this podcast. So this is somebody in the kind of, I think they call themselves the Wichita Mafia, who basically outlined that Tyler Hoover founded his YouTube channel, which was very successful. And he's basically encouraged other people in the local car community to start their own YouTube channels. So there is the Car Ninja, there is the Car Wizard, uh, Urination Bob has, has got a YouTube channel. But all these people, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've noticed. I, I noticed that you picked up by the fact that he's, he's, he's Urination Bob instead of Euro Asian Bob. Euro Asian uh, Bob. I, I was I was trying to say Euro Nation, but. Um, I have noticed that the that the um, the two mechanics that lots of Tyler Hoover's cars go to, the Car Wizard and the Car Ninja, have their own channels now. You know, the Car mm. Wizard's channel gets mondo views; it gets, it gets big views uh, because I think he's so kind of practical and down to earth, and and his stuff it can be a bit dry, but it's mm. it's also very interesting. And uh, you know, the the Car Ninja does BMW stuff, and I love BMW, so <laughs> I really enjoy seeing all that stuff. But it's really interesting, though, to have somebody actually say that a lot of these channels exist because of Tyler Hoover. He will help people out. He will get people started. He will give them advice. He will turn up in their videos. And it's not like a thing where he just sort of says to people, oh, you should do it, and then just leaves them to it. You know, he's actively at the middle of it trying to kind of build this community and help people up. And because I'm cheating slightly, I'm, I also am... am picking a video from the car ninjas channel where tyler comes along and films one of his videos so you kind of see you kind of see the other side of the camera and you see that actually 
for somebody with the channel numbers that he's got, I think he films almost everything on a GoPro, which is the best investment in the world. It's always surprised me that a lot of these people don't have particularly flash cameras. No. Doesn't Shmi 150 use something super old that he's got like hundreds of because yeah. it works for him? He's, he's, he's got some 1080p Sony Handycam. And if you look in any of his in-car shots, he always uses... So he's got, you know, like the, the sort of handy cam that you hold like an American football. But then for the action cams, he uses those white Sony ones that they made and probably haven't made any more of in yeah, a decade. Yeah, I know the kinds of thing. I think um, Harry Metcalf uses something similar, yeah. possibly, and um, JM on cars, similarly. I It's, again, you know, it's my urge to see how things are done. I, I'm interested to see what tech people use when they're recording these. How yeah. do they do, you know, if they mount the cameras to the outside of the car, how, <laughs> how you know, do they stabilise the video after the fact? You know, all of those things, you can, they're kind of, uh, just interesting to me and like, mm. I see in passing um, yeah you know that I guess it's that thing of if it works you know don't get bogged down in the tech mm. the tech is is merely the medium that gets your story out so don't sit there and think well I need the latest 4k blah 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 and a drone if, and a yeah, gimbal you don't and need a... all that stuff if you, you you know you've got to do compelling content and you can do that on a GoPro then great do it on a GoPro it's yeah. it's small it's relatively cheap it's pretty robust it works and also, we should just sort of give a bit of a shout out to JM on Cars for some of his recent videos. He's the vi- the visuals of those, and I think he has some background in cinematography. But I think some of the the shooting and editing of his recent videos have been really, really good, and just really working on a you know on 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 a on a great level. And I think he's been making some great videos. My channel pick is. Going back to when we were talking earlier about the Michael Bay car collection that Curated have got, the, there is a channel that started relatively recently called uh, Curated TV by John Tamerian, which is essentially mostly him sat in a chair, slightly Vin Wicky style, talking about cars that he's bought, cars that they've had, cars they've owned, cars they've sold, and just sitting and telling stories. Um I saw a good video on there about him buying a, I'm going to say 355 that was ridiculously low mileage, but was slightly troubled and awkward in how they had to go through the sale. And he just sits there and he tells the story. And they're a bit longer than VinWiki. So VinWiki is normally about sort of 10 minutes-ish. These are kind of nearer the 20, 25 minutes. And they ramble a bit sometimes. But it's really interesting hearing from somebody who is in the middle of this industry and who can actually tell a story. So go through, have a look through. There are some really snappy titles to these as well. Last I looked, he hadn't got that many subscribers for the sort of content that he was making. Um, so I would certainly recommend that if you're oh, if you're one of his uh, 44,000 subscribers, you're doing well. I think he deserves a lot more. Go and check it out. Sounds good. I have seen his channel and I've seen a few of his videos. I think there was one on some kind of murdered out Lamborghini. Um, I want to say Huracan, but it might have been an Aventador. I'm not 100% sure that I watched of his where he kind of talked around this kind of clearly a basket case that's clearly going to be bought by Ed Bolian. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, he's a li- he can be a teeny bit smug. For me, a teeny bit mm, like, yeah. look at how awesome my life is surrounded by all these beautiful cars. But that doesn't 
change the fact that the content can be engaging and you know this is wish fulfillment for a lot of us so yeah yeah, i'd give that a watch um i've gone with a video that i and a good portion of his viewers have been waiting for this is tavarish's finished mclaren 675 lt rebuild that he's been oh yes he's been working on for the last two years and and you know having been a tavarish um subscriber for longer than that i can remember this thing rolling in as an absolute wrecked piece of crap you know when it was red when it was red and all of the chassis rails were bent and the tub had a big hole in it and you know the engine was you know there were problems with the turbos because it had taken such a hit it had basically i think gone into a lamppost one way and then a guardrail another way so both the front and the back were absolutely mashed and Mm. I think initially there were a bunch of videos of him fixing things and and you know disassembling it and getting to the bottom of just how completely fucked it was and then slowly starting to be able to get things built and fix the engine and repair bits on the block and get the carbon the tub. tub sorted and you know just the whole sourcing of spare parts quite a few I think had to come from the UK um where there are starting to become a sort of um a few McLaren specialists outside of the the dealer network who will do spare parts and provide support. And then it all went quiet, I think, because he got busy with Car Trek. And I think Car Trek has kind of taken over somewhat. And so the videos on the McLaren became fewer and far between. And then obviously I think he made some progress and took all the bandy panels off and sent them all off to be repainted. And basically it kind of died for a bit in terms of output and then all of a sudden he's been able to put it back together and reveal the finished car and it looks spectacular i mean he's he's gone for a particular a special blue paint that they've mixed up themselves he's clearly he's working with the same people i think that he he was introduced to or discovered while he was rebuilding that um, Fast and Furious uh, Murcielago. So it's the same... I'm going to keep saying it that way. It's the same (laughs) company and people that worked on the respray for that, getting the orange just right and getting the bodywork looking good after it had a million coats of paint from a movie crew. And the same is true for this McLaren. They've they've taken some parts and and obviously taken the red and resprayed it to blue, but they've taken other parts and taken the paint off back to the carbon underneath mm. and made them bare carbon parts. And the carbon has been lacquered with a lacquer that's got a blue tint to it. So that looks classier. He's had the entire inside refinished in a sort of McLaren F1 tribute with Daytona-style seats and tan leather. Um, I think, it, by and large, the whole thing looks spectacular. And the fact that he's done it on his own with help from from a bunch of companies and from his his friend and, and sort of a co-worker, Jared, who both, who's been an essential part of the build. But the fact is that this is a guy in a garage rebuilding a McLaren from first principles away from the factory with presumably no factory support... Oh. And it it's all gone back together. He's had to, you know, use composite glue where I think more modern McLarens are more bolt-together affairs and so it's a lot easier to take them to bits and, and replace parts and put them together. You don't have to you know, literally cut them apart and cut the glue down the <laughs> middle. 
And he's had to go and glue this together. And when you're gluing body panels on, when you're bonding this composite, you've got to get the gaps all right before the glue cures. It blows my mind. And the fact is the finished product looks absolutely stunning. There's some gold pinstriping that is not to my taste. But ultimately, you know, he's built his dream car. He's bought a crashed one and over the course of two years and quite a lot of money <laughs> i think yeah. there is a VinWiki video out there somewhere that says i think he bought it for a hundred k and he's probably sunk another hundred k into it if not more mm. so he's actually spent as much as it would cost to buy a new one but i have a feeling that a he couldn't have been able to basically raise the capital to buy a new one outright and b where's the fun in that where's the no, that's not who <laughs> he, what his channel is built on it's not built on buying a car and then just having it it's built on buying a wreck and fixing it and that is exactly what he's done and it looks spectacular i look forward to seeing the drive videos i really recommend seeing this because i think it's really something special something to be amazingly mm. proud of of taking something that was so wrecked and returning it to pristine condition also it is worth saying though it is an hour-long video but it's worth it. Yeah. There's an hour's worth of content in there. Oh, easily, easily. It's. I mean, this could have been split up into lots of videos, and I kind of admire the fact that it wasn't. Um, and for my channel, because we've been talking for a long time, my channel is a channel I came across quite recently um, called Talk GT. That's talk as in turning force, T-O-R-Q-U-E. Um, and this is a an English channel for a change. It's a build channel that I discovered from the YouTube recommendation engine where they are currently running a project rebuilding a Subaru Impreza P1. So they have what looks like Ooh. a pretty basket case P1 that's got a bit of rust on it, has been in a barn for ages, is in a pretty sorry state, and they are stripping it down and rebuilding it completely. There are about five episodes in this series at the moment. And like I say, it's kind of refreshing to watch one of these series with Brits and, you know, British accents, a bunch of British humour. The guy presenting it would throw in, like, references to old British TV shows, which any, any American viewers are just not going to get. And I love because <laughs> it's exactly the kind of thing that's aimed at my age group. The Impreza P1 is a modern classic. Um, years and years ago, when I was buying a two grand MX-5 off of a chap on a farm, when I went to collect it, the MX-5 was in a barn with a mint condition Impreza P1. And he said, oh, Ooh. if you want that, that's for sale, seven grand. Oh, God. And I just, <laughs> I was, you know, the two grand I had for the MX-5 was all the money I could spare. And I was looking at going, I just wish, you know, amazing. And I don't know how much P1s go for now mint, but this one was absolutely minty. So any oh, any kind 30. of P1 content is is um it is something i'm interested in so i'm going to be really interested in following this uh channel i highly recommend giving them a follow they're on something like forty two and a half thousand followers which does not feel like anywhere near enough they have a whole <laughs> bunch of other stuff on japanese cars so in the middle of one of these episodes they just kind of take you through their showroom where there is an r34 nissan gtr nur spec um Blimey. which is a a proper rare groove r34 GTR, uh, they've got an R33 400R, which another super rare groove Jeez. GTR. They've got some really nice 
stuff in there. And so every now and then there'll be a break in the episode where they just wander over and show you another bit of amazing Japanese <laughs> sports car history. Um, there's a moment where they kind of just randomly stop and then show you, I think, a Japanese sports car from the 1970s. And this was the moment where I grabbed the channel URL and texted it to you because they described it as being painted an attractive shade of metallic brown. <laughs> And I know you love yes. a metallic brown car. So if you haven't seen this kind of thing, if you love 90s rally cars uh, like we do, and if you like a build channel, then go and give Talk GT a follow and watch their Impreza P1 build because I think it's going to turn out to be something special. And with that, we have reached the end of our show. We are sorry that we took a month to record the next one. <laughs> but, you know, it takes a while to recover from a cold and the crabs. So... <laughs> Uh, with that we'd like to say thank you very much for listening for all of you that are still listening (laughs) (laughs) haven't been disgusted or got bored and gone to subscribe to I don't know the Inked Cooler but yes thank you all so much for listening do please drop us um, a tweet or a message if you've enjoyed what we do if you think we've missed something out or you disagree with what we've been talking about please let us know and with that I think we're off to go and drive a vehicle covered in spikes into the desert (laughs) until next time everyone (laughs) 